Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 154, and today we've got Nate Wright. Nate, introduce yourself to the listeners. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, hi, guys. Uh, I'm Nate Wright. I run Theme of the Crop, which is a small WordPress themes and plugin shop specifically for restaurants. So I've got a kind of suite of free and commercial plugins um, and then some themes that are kind of built on that uh, plugin functionality for reservations, menus, local SEO, that kind of thing. Excellent. I also want to introduce my co-host, uh, Jonathan. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, hi there, folks. I'm this um, founder of WP Tonic. We're a WordPress support maintenance company, um, and we offer a number of different services for different sectors. Awesome. And I am John Locke. Uh, my business is Lockdown Design, and I serve blue-collar industries, specifically uh, with local SEO, uh, custom, WooCommerce, or, yeah, custom WooCommerce development, and WordPress development. Uh, jumping right into it, I want to ask you, Nate, you know, um, I like to ask everybody, you know, what's their origin story? How'd you get to where you are right now? Uh, what'd your journey look like? Oh, there are a lot of different places that that could go. I'll try and keep it uh, fairly brief. I mean, I started back in kind of the mid to late 90s doing, doing you know, HTML uh, for the first time, uh, mostly through my brother. My brother was a big kind of CGI Perl programmer, and he was learning and doing a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, I, I want to make a website for my band. So I made a, he showed me how to make a website for my band. And um, then I built a website for StarCraft. And that, you know, it's kind of that teenage hobbyist. You have so much time to spend that you can kind of just play around with these things. And so over time that kind of developed and, and uh, I started working for my brother part-time doing a lot of little things. Some of it was just content management, but then over time he'd, give me little programming jobs and I picked stuff up here and there and, and did a lot of work that way. And then uh, I always kind of pursued client work as a way to just fund whatever other thing I was doing in my life. Um, I've been an uh, activist. I've been a journalist. Um, but uh, when I moved to Edinburgh about four years ago, um, I started kind of uh, seeing it as a career, the web development thing. And that's when I started really investing in WordPress, not just as something I use to build somebody a site with every now and then, but as uh, a platform that I know and develop on uh, full-time. Very good, very good. How is the web scene there in uh, Edinburgh? Uh, I think it's really good, actually. We've got, um, th there's a pretty good tech community in general, not necessarily WordPress-specific. We've got... Um, FanDuel, if you know FanDuel, they're a big startup. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they're based here, as well as Skyscanner, which is a kind of um, uh, flights, hotels, reservations, um, search startup. Um, they're the kind of two big ones. In fact, 
the WordCamp we had in Edinburgh two years ago was hosted in Skyscanner offices, which they donated to us for that event, which is pretty cool. So yeah, I think, you know, Edinburgh is not, it's never going to be a London or a New York or, or certainly not a Silicon Valley or anything, but it's, um, it's got a lot going on for it, I think. And in the WordPress space in particular, we've got a pretty, pretty cool group of users, uh, developers, bloggers, um, and some quite advanced uh, developers as well. Um, who are who come to the meetups and and talk stuff? So I, I quite like the city's sort of tech community and uh, find everybody's quite friendly. I think there isn't a whole lot of um, competition, which is nice. Very very good. Uh, in a, and you serve specifically. You make products for the restaurant industry, like themes and plugins. Um, you know, and when I was younger, you know, back in the early '90s, late '80s. Uh, you know, I worked in restaurants, obviously, like the internet wasn't a thing back then, but I know the restaurants have like tight margins. Uh, you know, the difference between profit and loss is not a whole lot. Um, what is happening now? Like, are restaurants like valuing web marketing, online marketing now more than they did in the past? Um, well, I mean, I don't have a really long history, so I can't necessarily, I can't say definitively like, yes, more now than before. Um, I think it's less, like, you can't really ignore it. It's very rare that I come across a restaurant that doesn't at least have a Facebook page. Um, And actually, for a lot of restaurants, I think having a presence on Facebook, Twitter, Urban Spoon, um, any of these sorts of social media is a great first step if they can't afford a website. to have a kind of presence online, like for a lot for a lot of websites or restaurants, it's it's enough for me to be able to find their Facebook page when I search for them, because all I really want to know is their address or their phone number or their opening hours or something like that. Um, but I think there's definitely a lot of restaurants that are taking sort of digital marketing very seriously. Um, they're making use of email newsletters to drum up support for special events. Um, there a lot of, I mean, one of my plugins is for, uh, taking reservations online. Um, and so, you know, the open table, um, service has gotten very popular in the U S in the UK res diary is quite popular. And there's a whole bunch of other services built around that, those, that sort of, um, feature set that a lot of restaurants are now taking advantage of, but at quite, quite a high cost to them. You know, as you said, their margins are really small and sometimes, the open table booking fee can be a dollar or two a booking. Um, and so that, that those costs can really add up. So um, I definitely find a lot of restaurants now, whether the, I think a lot of restaurants would be perfectly happy to not exist for a trip advisor to not exist for any of that stuff to not exist. Cause it's, it's a bit of an overhead for them. Or at least that's how they feel it. Um, but then there's a whole bunch of restaurants who are sort of recognizing the value and investing in that as well. I wouldn't say they're necessarily investing huge sums because, as you say, they don't have uh, huge sums to just dump into big projects. Um, but definitely for more and more of them, that's uh, it's a pretty important part of their overall marketing strategy. Can I ask something, Nat? Um, yeah. Um, Knowing this type of business, I think one of the other, you know, which is probably out of your scope, but I, I, I'm interested in asking you this question to see your opinion. I think the other thing is, have you noticed um, 
the ability to actually use the website effectively, you know, to keep on putting new content on it and um, actually driving traffic, and how have which will affect your business because it will affect dropout. Um, how how do you try to educate and help them um, build it as a real resource for their business? If you understand what I mean. Yeah, um, I, I suspect you're talking to some extent about content marketing and kind of customer engagement over time and stuff. Um, to be honest, I don't think that I've ever seen a restaurant effectively use content marketing. Um, I think it's a real high investment strategy. Um, and I don't know. Well, okay, actually, I do have a customer who um, their restaurant has quite a famous sommelier. Um, and so they have turned their blog into essentially like a, the sommelier talking about his new wines and things like that. Um, so that's quite an interesting way to use that. Um, but to me, I have not seen that in use very much. Um, and I think it would be, I think not a lot of restaurants would have either the expertise or the competence yeah, I, to do I, that I well. totally agree. I meant really more, yeah. you know, that, that, that they do update prices, they, you know, yeah. that they keep on using it, because if they don't keep using it, they'll probably um, stop paying for it. So mm-hmm. um, have you learned any systems or tricks of keeping them so they keep on using it, or is it, you know? Yeah. Well, because I do product work, I, I often don't have as intimate a relationship as I would if I were doing the client work. Um, so in that sense, a lot of my information is kind of secondhand. So oftentimes I'm dealing with uh, uh, a middleman of some sort who is contracted to oh, do their tech work. Um, I do work directly with a bunch of them, um, but I would say it's not the majority of my my customer base. But I mean, I can see that that's happening in all sorts of other ways. So, um, you know, one of the things I just uh, improved in my restaurant menu plugin is um, I made it possible to update the prices from the quick edit menu. And that's a, that's a request I've gotten for years. And that suggests that people really are going in and updating prices regularly. Um, and I'm constantly getting requests around um, kind of unique menu needs. So um, I've got I've got this lunch menu, but then I've, I've got this special event on every Thursday and I need a special menu just for that and um, that sort of stuff, which suggests that people are, they're not just kind of uh, firing and forgetting on these websites, that they're, they're making active use of them. But how many of them are doing that? Uh, like what percentage of restaurants are really actively investing in that? I would guess it's still pretty low. That would be my guess. Yeah, I, I apologise because think you know, thinking back to your interview a while ago on the Matt Report, you know, your model. Um, I think you directly sell to some restaurants, but it, you sell a lot of the product to other developers, don't you? Which um, is a good strategy, I feel. Sorry, John, I interrupted there. We're not tag you, did I? Talk? Oh no, take it. I'll tag you in. Go. Yeah. <laughs> But um, do you feel, just to finish off, and then we'll let John answer his next question, um, do you think that's been a really good choice that you develop the company and uh, a lot of your product you're selling to other developers as a kind of framework? Would it be right it's a kind of framework for developers to build restaurant sites quickly? Would that be kind of um, your strategy? And uh, it sounds like it's been a pretty successful one. 
Um, yeah, I think I think what exactly my strategy is is part of the problem around sort of the ambiguity of what I'm doing because there is the kind of service model that that targets specifically a restaurant owner or somebody with very very little experience. Um, that would be something like Happy Tables or Restaurant Engine um, that basically provides you a hosted platform um, with extremely simple setup. Um, and that's not really what I do, largely because I don't want to be in the hosting industry. Um, I, I like being in the product space because it, it allows me a certain amount of distance, which means I, don't, I, I can take holidays without worrying about a client site going down or things like that. Um, but, but as you say, it, it creates this issue because I, I end up selling largely to developers. So you know, I build everything to be easy to use for people who are not developers. I want, I want a restaurant owner to be able to come in, put up one of my themes, activate my plugins, and set it all up without, without being overwhelmed with the complexity of it, um, without necessarily putting into their hands decisions that shouldn't be into the, in their hands, like um, you know, putting simple systems in so that when they put their address in, I make sure it shows up in, in a useful spot. On the on the site, I don't I don't make them make that choice about where it appears and why or any of that sort of stuff. Um, but I've found it very difficult to market to restaurant owners and managers themselves. Um, I just I, I have some of my best relationships with those customers, um, but they're very much a minority of my overall customer base, and I think that just comes down to the ease with which you can reach out to um, people who are already developing in the WordPress space. Um, there's a massive ecosystem of developers and implementers who are already on the lookout for plugins and themes. Um, and it's a much easier to tap into that audience and sell to them than it is to take a restaurant owner and say, there's this thing called WordPress. You have to set it up, but I'll give you the themes and plugins to run it. Um, I think WordPress is just a little bit too too hard to get going on your own um, for that specifically, which is why I end up with this developer relationship most of the time, I think. No, I think that's that's really intriguing. And I love that you brought up like there's there's kind of a dichotomy there because you're making products for restaurant owners, but they're really not the ones purchasing your product. Ones purchasing your product are more uh, the site builders, the people who are marketing uh, the restaurant sites, the the WordPress developers who are actually uh, going in and creating the sites, and, and I want to like take um, you know each half of that discussion, but you know let's keep the momentum going on on what you were talking about. Like you're you build the relationships like with the WordPress developers, um, and you know standing out in the crowd. On one side, you've got uh, Theme Forest and Envato. Uh, which everybody goes to and, and they get the traffic. And then on the other side, you've got, uh, you know, software as a service products like, uh, you know, uh, Happy Tables and the Restaurant Engine. And, and, you know, you're trying to get in where you fit in in that niche. How is it like marketing your product without the power of Envato uh, behind you, you know, as an independent theme shop, plug-in shop owner? Uh, without a doubt, it's the hardest part for me personally. I mean, because I come from a coding background, like for me, building the stuff is the easy. I mean, it takes work, but I know how to do it. I know what I'm trying to get to. 
and I can envision the final result and get there. With marketing, it's a lot of trial and error. And to be honest, for me, mostly error. Um, it's, it's taken a long time. I would say um, the successful marketing channels for me have been the wordpress.org plugin directory. Uh, my free plugins there are a very, um, very good uh, or easy. It's a simple way. To, to get eyeballs because I have a reservations plugin. It's got 10,000 active users. That's like a ready-made audience for me. Um, and obviously it took work to build that up over, over several years, but I didn't actually, I didn't have to go out and buy ads for that. Um, I didn't have to give out affiliate commissions to get listed on sites. Um, I mostly just had to put it there where people were already looking. And I think that's the appeal of an Envato route as well if you were going to go with a theme shop for instance is you get to build your product and put it where there's a whole bunch of eyeballs um but actually getting them in especially with like kind of an unsexy product like restaurants i mean um at least in the developer world there's a lot of really interesting things going on uh which are either solving complex developer problems or um serving kind of um more kind of uh, appealing or high impact niches. Um, and restaurants is kind of just a, to be honest, the restaurant website's pretty simple. Like you give them, you give them a few photos, you give them a menu, you give them your opening hours, your address, your phone number, uh, and you're pretty much set. Like there's, there's definitely more you can do with it. And, and in terms of integrating your website and lead captures and maintaining relationships, um, but the thrust of it is not very sexy. And that's made it really hard to when to go out into the WordPress space and say, I've got these cool products. And everybody's like, oh, I've seen restaurants before. I've, I've seen that done. There's nothing new about that. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. It's been hard. <laughs> one, one thing that I really respect about Theme of the Crop that uh, I don't see a lot of on Envato, though, is you actually just include the features that are needed for a restaurant site to succeed instead of trying to bundle everything in the kitchen sink plus some uh you know talk a little bit about that how to making the decisions of like what to you know put into your products and how uh, they all fit together as opposed to some of the other you know perhaps like restaurant themes or or (laughs) solutions out there Okay, I'll start with like how they fit together because um, I think that's that's the thing I have trouble selling a customer on when they land on my website. Um, but so I've got a plugin for restaurant reservations, a plugin for restaurant menus, um, and both of those things involve aspects which appear on the customer-facing website. You've got a booking form for reservations and you've got a menu. Um, so the free plugins, they... They provide the kind of base styles that make it functional for any theme. Um, and they look, they look okay, but obviously you want, when you buy a theme, you want that, you buy a theme because you think it looks great. So you buy a theme and then you plug in some other plugin to it and that plugin doesn't look as good because the theme are never bothered to style that, that plugin styles, which makes sense. I mean, there's no way a themer can style, include styles for every single plugin out there. And if they did, that you just have a bloated website style sheet. So, um, 
So basically what I do is I have each of these feature plugins. So there's reservations, there's menus, um, a simple plugin for adding sort of testimonials, um, and then a, another one that's specifically for displaying your business profile. So address, opening hours, phone number, map. Um, and so all this functionality lives in these plugins. Um, but then when I build a theme, I'm deliberately building a theme to display that content. So um, the theme is essentially a uh, style which works to integrate all these different feature sets into what I hope is a kind of compelling restaurant website design. Um, it might mean that one theme is, is uh, really pushing customers to the booking form. Um, another theme might have, you know, a very particular way of displaying a menu, for instance, like this theme might be great for short menus. This theme might be great for long menus, um, that kind of thing. Um, so when I talk about sort of the whole product suite, um, it's really about taking this idea of all these discrete components that have been built and pulling them together into one cohesive product where everything works together implicitly. So for instance, um, my business profile plugin uses schema.org markup um, to tell Google about rich, rich data about your business. Um, so if you've ever searched for a local business or a restaurant in Google, you've probably seen that little info panel that appears on the right of the search results. Um, and that'll show a map, yes. it'll show the name, opening hours, phone number. Um, well, it can also show a link to reservations for restaurants. So if you're using my reservations plugin and my business profile plugin, it will include the schema markup for the reservations. Um, and the same with my menu. It actually allows you, if you have a restaurant schema um, object, it'll allow you to define a link for the menu so that when someone searches for your restaurant, they'll see not just your name and opening hours, but they can get a direct link to bookings and menus. Um, so that's just one way in which like these pieces all kind of fit together and they're, they're more valuable when they're used together rather than just the standalone things. Um, so that's the, that's that last part of your question about how they all fit together. Um, but the previous one was like, how did I end up going that route rather than the kind of, let me just give you one product that has everything. Um, and I think that's mostly because I'm, I come from a developer background. So I have wrestled with and cried over bloated plugins um, for many years. Uh, and it's just not, it's not the kind of product that I would want to buy. And so it's not the kind of product that I want to build. Um, it, it, as a developer, you learn that bugs sort of multiply exponentially as complexity grows. So if you have two pieces of something complex um, and you say add two options to each one, you end up you end up with like four times as many potential scenarios of different option configurations. Um, and so when you get a theme that is bundled hundreds and hundreds of options into its platform, essentially what you have is a system that cannot be properly tested across all variations. Um, obviously you could automate some testing, but automated tests only do so much. Um, so the more sort of heavyweight something gets with more options and things like that, the more scope there is for things to interact poorly, 
uh, for things to not display properly, um, and for more things to creep in that you haven't really noticed. So for me as a developer, keeping things very simple and very isolated in that sense, like this plugin does this one thing and it's it's not going to do loads of other things. It might integrate with this other plugin in an interesting way, but it'll only ever do so through a kind of um, explicitly defined system rather than just do a whole bunch of options and things. Um, so, so that was really what drove me to the model of saying, I'm going to keep things as simple as possible because on the one hand, it leads to better products. The, the end user has fewer problems with it, but also in my own interest, it leads to fewer support requests. Um, and that's been a huge factor for me is how do I, how do I do all this stuff, but minimize the amount of tech support I'm going to have to provide? Um, because I don't, I don't want to be debugging hundreds and hundreds of people's websites all the time. I, I, I couldn't really do that on the kind of profit model that I have. Um, and most of the people who succeed at that um, with the big complex themes on Envato, um, they're able to do so because they're able to hire low cost support technicians um, in developing countries, um, which, is, which is a great model for them, but it's not the model that I want it's not, it's not the kind of business I'm interested in running at all. Yeah. No, it's, it no, sounds it's, like it you've sounds got like, you've got like a, a win-win situation there. Um, we're going to go ahead and head to our first break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Nate Wright of Theme of the Crop. See you in a minute. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno-Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're coming back from our break, and we're talking with Nate Wright of Theme of the Crop. Uh, You know, before we were talking about, like, development, but, um, you know, what are the common mistakes that you see uh, restaurant sites, like, making out there right now uh you know i i know you've talked about it before you know restaurant sites having inverted priorities uh can you talk about that for a second yeah i mean the the one that i bang on about all the time is is bad photos <laughs> uh it just you should not if you've taken a photo it, uh, even if you have a nice camera if you don't know how to take a photo of food or a photo of a of an interior. I mean, these are specialized photography skills. Your place is going to look pretty bad. Um, so the one thing I tell people, which is not has nothing to do with any of my products, is if you have money to spend on a really expensive web developer or a really expensive photographer, pick the photographer because you can put good photos in a bad website. And that's probably better for you than bad photos in like a super fancy website. Um, so that's, that's like the first one. It's kind of doesn't even have anything to do with WordPress. Just, just pay, pay somebody to take good photos of your place. It, it'll be worth it. Um, but in terms of the actual uh, website content and stuff, um, the, the main thing is, and it's not, it's not unique to restaurants, but people focus on the things they can see. So there's a there's a huge interest in having uh, a restaurant website that that looks like something fancy, or you want you know fancy scroll effects, or lots of animations, or you know you you end up focusing on um, all the kind of visual ways you might uh, impress somebody. 
um, not necessarily through good photography, but through, uh, say, uh, fancy layouts or things like that. Um, whereas, to be honest, I think most restaurants, or at least most visitors to restaurant websites, are pretty utilitarian. I think they're out walking on the street, they're on their phone, and they're looking for somewhere nearby that they want to to eat at. Or they are they already have heard of this place and they're just trying to figure out, is it open now? Or can I make a booking or things like that? Um, and there doesn't, there's often not very clear priorities for actually getting users through that conversion funnel as quick as possible. I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of visitors that a restaurant website can take immediately to a conversion funnel um, that they don't. And particularly if you're on a phone and you're looking at four or five restaurants you're probably going to end up booking the one that loads first because uh, you're probably on some bad Wi-Fi or on the 3G network and you're sick of waiting for all these sites to load. Um, so so that's another kind of big one is uh, there's a kind of over-focus on what people can see and not nearly enough focus on uh, how you can actually take a visitor from uh, landing on your site to phoning you up or making a booking uh, as quickly as possible. Um, and yeah, I mean, the other, the others which touch on it is there tends to be a lot of, I mean, with any web project, anybody who's dealt with a client knows there's a lot of ego design that goes into the the project. It's, it's something that has to represent something very unique and personal to whoever the owner or the, the person commissioning the project, um, uh identifies with uh and yeah i see that i see that just kind of folding into that focus on what can be seen versus what cannot be seen um so very very you you'll very rarely see a restaurant that has good seo for instance um even though that's probably 10 times more valuable uh than um whether the logo is on the left or the right for instance um so yeah, that, that kind of inverted priorities where they aren't really thinking about the the business function of the website, and that, and to be honest, I think it's often not the website owner. It's often this middle middle ground person who is uh, implementing a WordPress website for a client, uh, often using tools that they have limited um, limited understanding of, so they can't necessarily um, take the best advantage of them. Um, and they're kind of they're kind of imitating what they see other websites do without really thinking about what does this website actually what does this restaurant need to to actually turn a profit on this thing? Um, I mean, I'm really surprised at how obscure my business profile plugin is because I mean, it's not just for restaurants, but almost any local um, business could benefit greatly from having that kind of schema markup. But it's just not something that I see a lot of web developers putting time into yeah i've got a question um you know you've been in business now for a few years and you've been building this up so what's what's the vision for 2017 um you know are you happy to keep the business now i don't know if you do most of this yourself and you use subcontractors or you've got a small team um that you directly employ and i i don't know if you're happy to keep it at this level or you want to grow the business 
um, some more uh, this year and in the next couple of years. So um, what's the plan? Yeah, um, <coughs> I don't I don't have really ambitious growth plans. Um, I, I do it entirely myself. Um, I, ha- I occasionally will subtract some design work. Um, I recently redid my website and had a couple of um, uh, people I know who would trust around SEO stuff who helped me work out some kinks on that front. Um, but for the most part, I, I build the stuff and sell the stuff myself. And I'm not terribly interested in hiring other people. So um, I, there's still lots of room, I think, for me to grow. At the moment, it really only funds me half time. I work half time for a, um, the Public Knowledge Project in Vancouver. Um, but so I'd like to see it grow. I think there's still lots of room for it to grow, but I don't have really ambitious plans for, um, say, like a hosted platform. Um, I, I don't have really ambitious plans about um, restructuring what I'm selling and why um, or who I'm targeting. Uh, and that may be that may be short sighted. Like I don't want. No, to no, at all. Actually, again. I think you're being very. Um, um, I'm trying to find the right word here. You, um, I think you're utilizing. You've been a little bit unfair to yourself. You know, utilizing the wrong language, really, because um, I think what you're describing is that you want. You are very happy. You, you. What I feel that you're saying is that you're happy. You want more sales. But where the business is at the present moment, you're totally happy with, with the actual structure and the size of the business. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, and it's, I'm really happy with the products that I'm selling, and that matters a lot to me. I mean, I'm sure it matters to everybody who sells products, but um, I'm really happy with where I'm at with the plugins. I mean, of course, I've got lots of ideas for new developments and things like that. Uh, but I'm really proud of what I've built, built, and I've been able to do that because I haven't really rushed forward and just spun out a whole bunch of stuff. I've I've really spent my time and tried to do things in a way that I really like, and and that means um, that as I go forward, I don't have a lot of stuff where I feel like oh I've got to go back and redo that whole thing. Um, so yeah, I mean I'd love to have I'd love to have te- like right now I've got three themes four themes for sale, three themes for sale. <laughs> You'd think I'd know that. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to have 10 to 15 themes because uh, the, the biggest sort of, in terms of offering that complete package, the, the biggest bottleneck right now is, you know, if one of my three themes doesn't fit your restaurant's brand, then you're kind of, you know, you, you got to well, go elsewhere. I, I think that's, that you pointed out something really interesting. And what um, I was going to ask you is, um, I, have you considered to open it out to third-party developers? So it's something that um, when we had the team from Beaver Builder, that's helped them enormously is um, the power of the community that they've built around their plugin. Is that something you might be interested in is build more of a community around your business and um, allow third party developers to kind of um, um, help you basically grow the business? Um, Yes and no. So when I started, I was very, I was very influenced by the Easy Digital Downloads team, Pippin and Company. Um, they, I think they've got a fantastic little ecosystem. I mean, little ecosystem. It's a pretty successful ecosystem. 
Um, and and that's part of the reason why I used my base plugin add-on plugin model um, to to the products that I built rather than just doing a kind of free pro or any of that sort of stuff. Um, and and I think I think at the time my vision was to hopefully end up somewhere where there was an ecosystem and I wasn't the only um, add-on builder and that sort of thing. But um, as time has passed, I think I've gotten maybe just a little bit more um, guarded over my brand um, and a little bit more nervous about what it would mean to open up uh, to other and sell other people's products on my site that I couldn't really guarantee the quality of. Um, and one of the things that I'm really proud of is, is the support I provide. I think I provide very good support. It's part of the reason my products tend to be higher priced than other people's products. Um, and I think that would, it would be very difficult to support a product that I didn't build, or at least that I didn't know quite intimately. Um, so yeah, I think over time I've become more and more hesitant um, to do that. Now I will say that there are, there are several themers out there who have built on my plugins and I, I work with them to, to help them make sure that those integrations are um, as good as they can be. I happily recommend them to people and, and stuff, but moving to the stage where I would sell them on my site, uh, I think I'm just a little bit gun shy on that, on that front. Um, and I think it's, it would, there's probably lots of scope for. Well, I think the reality is, then. I think the reality is what you've, um, um, outlined um, is totally true, but it's like most scenarios, isn't it? You know, it's not going to be perfect, but there could be also benefits. But there are drawbacks mm-hmm. as well. And what what every um, business owner has to make a judgment call. And with the benefits, there will be problems. And it, it just yeah. really depends on your psyche, where you want to take the business. Do you really want to go down the road? And I feel by your answer is you what you're saying is it's something that at the present moment you won't be very happy with, but you're not totally um, blanking it off. It's just where you are at the present moment. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. And my ideal my ideal world is that I have a close relationship with one or two developers who I trust really well, and I spin off something like theme development to them. Um, and I trust them to build solid themes, to build to my own personal standards of um, quality of the ease of user experience. Um, that's a whole side of the business that like, I, I, there are lots of really talented designers um, and developers who um, I think I could like that kind of, that kind of relationship would work really, really well, a kind of profit share around that. Um, as long as I could kind of structure some of the, the, the code to make sure that, that what I was committing to selling and supporting met my standards. But um, to be honest, I don't think I do enough volume in themes to make it worth another developer's time at the moment. Themes are a little bit of a long-term investment for me. I mean, even themes that I built two, three years ago are still selling. Um, it's not It's not the Envato model of you put out a theme and you have the kind of massive theme sales and then after a few months it drops off and then there's just almost nothing forever mine typically take a little while to build up but then kind of plateau Mm. um 
and they don't require a lot of um they're actually require tend to require less support and that's because I know that the integrations with the plugins are rock solid so uh they don't run into those kinds of issues um and they are also the most high value so I sell like a theme plus all of my free plugins I sell for 129 um so that's a pretty high value customer for me so so but I couldn't necessarily promise uh I I couldn't I couldn't ask a developer to build me a theme and then promise him x amount of money um because my highest selling theme sells maybe 10 times as much as my lowest selling theme um so it's it's quite variable and it's it's really difficult to kind of but I'd love to I'd love to find somebody who who I could work with in that kind of way and and find ways to do specific things without necessarily turning it into an open market um if you know what I mean Oh yeah I'm sure there's a, a middle way actually it just needs a lot of thought and you got to be comfortable where you're where it's your business you got to be comfortable with it haven't you but yeah. um, but I'm sure you'll find a path Got a final question uh, John before we go we wrap up the podcast and we go on to the bonus content John Yeah definitely so as far as like where you're taking like development with your themes and with your plugins do you do you listen to like do you get a lot of feedback uh from the WordPress site builders that you, that purchase your products or do you get any from um restaurant owners themselves or or where does your feedback come from when it goes into developing uh like your next product or improving existing ones um yeah most of it is what comes to me um so i don't i don't go out and actively seek it too much um i would say there's two main channels well for both of the both of the sort of customer buckets that you um that you outlined so the there's i get really sustained like detailed um discussions with uh really involved restaurant owners and uh people who are working in the restaurant marketing industry specifically um so maybe a pr agency or something that specializes in restaurants and i get amazing detailed feedback from them because they're super invested in this um so it runs everything from kind of like overload of feature requests uh to really really useful um intelligence about uh how people are actually making use of the reservations for instance what are the the key tools that will make things faster or um speed like give them productivity gains or help them remarket um i get that kind of stuff from those those people um which is really helpful although i think that they're very much a minority like they're the they're very much the ones that are heavily invested so they give lots of feedback but they are a minority of my customers um although they are the repeat customers i tend to get the repeat sales from them um from the web builders i get very i get lots of feedback particularly through my free plugins i mean it's a great way it's a great way to have exposure to way more people than i have um in my actual customer base uh my user base is probably 10 times as large as my customer base uh so i get lots of really useful but sporadic feedback from them about features they need things pain points that sort of thing but their feedback tends to be uh in either the usability of the software or in some kind of 
option or feature set that they needed to implement this project right now that they couldn't find. Um, and it's sometimes hard to figure out from that what are the what are the really critical things that I want to support and what are the things I'm just going to tell them, you know, you're going to have to hire a coder for that. Um, yeah. Excellent. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up the regular part of the podcast. I want to remind everyone that if you're getting value from this podcast interviews and the roundtable shows on Saturday, be sure to go to iTunes and leave us a detailed review. We're trying to get to triple digits, and we're getting a little bit closer uh, each week, but uh, go ahead and help us out there. Uh, And with that, uh, Nate, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, you can contact me personally on Twitter at NateWR or the Theme of the Crops account is at Theme of the Crop. Theme of the Crop's also on Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash Theme of the Crop. And of course, there's themeofthecrop.com. I've got a contact form on there and I reply to everything. It just comes to me. There's no support middleman. So I'd, I'd love to chat to people about whatever their, whatever their needs are for restaurants. So just reach out. Excellent. Jonathan, how do we get a hold of you? Oh, before that, folks, I just want to emphasize what my, my great co-host said about giving us a review on iTunes. But also subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got a lot of content. I plan to do some training videos on there as well in the new year. So there'll be um, hopefully new materials. Um, I'm going to broaden out what I um, discuss on my part of the YouTube channel. I'll probably be dealing with Facebook and other marketing things that take my interest. That's our plan, isn't it, John? That is the plan. And the way you can get a hold of me, folks, is quite easily get me on Twitter at Jonathan Denwood. Um, I'm normally um, remarking and causing some mischief on there every day. Um, or you can email me at um, Jonathan at WP-tonic.com. They're the most two easiest ways, folks. Excellent. And you can get a hold of me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. You can follow me on Twitter, lockdown underscore, if you dare. And you can find me on Facebook, just Facebook slash lockdown design. What's all this one dairy word. business uh, about, John? I don't know, man. Some people, you know, I don't know. <laughs> if you dare, you, you follow he's me a, on Twitter. He loves this, folks. He's a, he's, a, he's a Labrador at heart, but he likes to make out he's a pit bull terrier, you know. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, um, there we go. All right. And with that, uh, I want to say like the next episode that we're coming up, our next Saturday show is going to be all about accessibility. So uh, go and check that out if you're listening to this in the archives. And then our next interview show is going to be with Carrie Dills coming back for a three-time, three-time, the queen three-time of, the guest. The queen of Genesis. Yep. All right. And yeah, but, with folks, that, remember, but first, folks, remember to get your spoonful yep. of WordPress medicine every week on WB Tonic. Get a spoonful of medicine and get your dose. (laughs) See you later, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.